0: Would you join me tonight in the last book and the last chapter of the last book of the Bible? The book of Revelation, chapter 22, and we'd like to spend a little time on that verse 11 tonight. It's really the last warning of the entire Bible. There are warnings from beginning to end, but by and large, this book, and particularly this chapter, the last couple chapters have really been a blessing to the church, as we've got to see the church as God sees it, uh, his defense about it, his walls about it, his praise, his glory about it. It's just a, a beautiful sight in anticipation. And it's not just for the future. It is ours to enjoy now. We get to enjoy spiritual things now. They're not just waiting for the future. We get to enjoy sh- the spiritual blessings of Christ. We get to enjoy His work and ministry on our behalf right presently. Not like we'll enjoy it then because we carry around the flesh. But it's not just all in the future. We have been given the grace of God and the rich blessings of Christ. Now, in this verse of Scripture, I'd like to read verses 10 and 11. But in verse 11, we have a warning, we have a blessing... And uh, we'd like to look at that passage of Scripture tonight. But verse 10, it says, and he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Over in the book of Daniel, Daniel was told to seal up the book. And there was a long period of time from a human standpoint between Daniel's writing, it happens to be 490 years, That's what Daniel was told to write 490 years from the time to go and start rebuilding the walls to Christ and his ministry on the cross. And it's sometime after that we have this book, but there's been quite a period of time during that period of time. It was shut up. There was no possibility of Christ coming back the second time since he hadn't been here the first time. But now that he's been here, all this time has been called the last days. John spoke of the last days. All of the church fathers from that point here have spoken of the last days. And we're in the last days, even at the best or at the worst one. We're in the last days. Uh, I have, you know, 20, 25 years, maybe. I'm in my last days and I'm going to meet my Savior. All right, let's read this. Verse 11, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he that is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. Now this verse of scripture is a statement made at the close of this book, a statement of warning. Whatever your condition, when you die, that will be your condition through eternity. That's it. Whatever your condition, when you die. If you're, as the scriptures tell us, if you're unjust, you will be unjust still. If you're filthy, and we're going to talk about these words, if you're filthy, you'll be filthy still. But... If, as it tells us there, if you're righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. Death changes nothing. There have been several proposals made by religious groups over the years to try to help people when they get to the end and they're not quite right. One of them is purgatory. One of them is limbo. And I'm sure there are many others that people have created. But they're not found in Scripture. And the Bible tells us, and it tells us so succinctly in this verse, if you're unrighteous, you'll be unrighteous still. Death changes nothing. There will be no changes in eternity. Whatever your spiritual condition is, at the moment of death... That will be your spiritual condition throughout eternity. Now, God's people are going to see a whole lot more than we see right now. But lost people are going to see a whole lot more than they see right now too. The judgment bar of God is not to be a trial to determine guilt or innocence. When we read about the great white throne judgment, when we read about any judgment of God, it is not to determine whether someone is guilty or innocent. That's here. All that will do is that will determine that judgment day will determine nothing, but will show the guilt or innocent of all who stand before him. It's just going to be a determination, not it's not going to be a judgment. It's, those who are innocent will go out of this world innocent. Those who are guilty will stand before him guilty and there will not be any judgment there. Well, you lived uh, that, all that stuff people make up. He that is guilty will go out of this world guilty. He that's innocent... will go out of this world innocent. He that goes out of this world as a sheep... will stay a sheep. He that goes out of this world a goat... will stay a goat. That's what it is. He that goes out friendly with God... will continue to be friends with God. And he that goes out with his fist held high to God... will still have his fist held high to God... in judgment. And God will have his work... and way in the matter... The judgment bar of God is not a trial. It's a statement. Now, we're going to we got trials going on all the time, trying to discover whether someone is guilty or innocent. That's not this judgment. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. That's what it tells us. He that is unjust, without grace, he that's without grace, will continue to be without grace. He that has worked here is going to have to work there. He that has been at rest here will be at rest there. It's just there's not going to be changes made. We'll have more light. We'll have more understanding. But I'll tell you those on the left-hand side will have a greater understanding about their place than they do now too. Would you turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes? Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. I'd like to read one verse of scripture over in the 11th chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. And that's just right after Psalms and Proverbs. The book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 11. The Holy Spirit used Solomon as the secretary here. And Solomon was wise God gave him wisdom, and he was able to write wise things because God gave it to him. Nobody wrote alone when it came to the word of God. They wrote as secretaries. God gave them the message. He allowed personality to enter in in some miraculous way. But the words were God's. Now read this with me. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 3. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. Now this next part is a logging statement. And if the tree fall towards the south or towards the north, as long as the tree stands, we don't know which way it's going to fall. Depends on what way the wind's blowing when it finally breaks off at the ground. A logger knows where he's going to put that log. But does just have a tree standing out in the woods. And after a long period of time, it's rotting and rotting and rotting. Nobody knows exactly which way it's going to fall. But God, and he sends the wind one day, and this is what it says. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 3. If the tree fall towards the south or toward the north in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be it's not going to move itself it's down it's stuck that's where it is and that verse of scripture explains a lot about that passage of scripture over in the book of revelation chapter 22 and verse 11 he that is unjust will be stuck the tree has fallen no changes will happen now. All right, let's look at a, at some of the ways this word is used. The word unjust. Would you turn with me to the book of First Corinthians chapter 6? First Corinthians chapter 6 shares with us this word as it's used. The, tra- the translators chose some other words than we found over there unjust, but it gives us some insight as to what this word means. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I like what Brother Marvin said when he was here. I don't know the meanings of many of these words, so I have to look it up. I'm just going to go to a couple other places where this word is used, and that helps me as we find out with this word, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 8 Nay, ye do wrong and defraud that your brother. Now, in this passage of scripture it's taking a brother to court and he says you do wrong. That's the same word as unjust. You do wrong. Now, by nature, that's the way we are. We do wrong towards God. We're unjust in that way. We do wrong towards God. The highest, greatest, most magnificent love that we could ever even think about is God Almighty, and we are unjust, or we do wrong towards Him because we're enmity against Him. We're enmity. It is just so profound how far natural man has fallen. But natural man is enmity, not at enmity, but enmity. Angry, bitter, harsh, hard. With God, and he is the greatest demonstration of love and mercy we will ever see. Now, someone may be merciful and gracious to us, but nothing compared to what God is. And here we have it. You've done wrong. We, by nature, do wrong towards God. And he that does wrong through this life without an intervening power of the Holy Spirit and Almighty God will go out of this world doing wrong, still hating God, still loving sin, and for eternity will never be able to To do anything else but hate God and love sin. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This word here again is used that we found over there, which is translated unjust. It means to do wrong. It means to be in the wrong place. It means to be a child of Adam, what it really means. And if we don't have God intervening in our life somewhere, when we leave this life, there's not going to be any change. There's no second chance. That's what most theology does is give people a second chance. But the Bible never has ever touched there. It's now or never. It's Christ now or never. He that is unjust will be and continue to be unjust throughout eternity. All right. Second Second Corinthians. I think Second Corinthians chapter seven. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the saints at Corinth, now I'm just diving into a passage. I'm looking for this word. So you forgive me. I want this word. Chapter 7, verse 2. Paul says, receive us. We have wronged no man. Now, when the Apostle Paul came to Corinth, he wronged nobody. He brought the gospel. He didn't depend on them for anything. He depended upon God for his his livelihood. But he wronged no man. Now, he could have wronged them by not preaching the gospel. He could have wronged them by not telling them about The sovereignty of God. He could have wronged them by not talking to them and sharing with them God's elective grace. He could have talked to them about everything else and wronged them if he did not talk about the grace of God that is necessary for the salvation of people. But when it came to his life and came to his teaching, he wronged no one. These people that we read about in Revelation chapter 22, they've wronged people and they've wronged God. Lied about God, lied about his gospel, lied about salvation, lied about everything, and have put their trust in themselves when God has said it isn't enough. Wronged God. Paul said, I wrong none of you. If you read his writings... The Holy Spirit had him deliver the simplicity of the gospel. And that is salvation is only of God and all our works are accounted as nothing. Now, that's not wronging anybody. People may get upset about it, but it's better to be that and not wrong people than to lie about God and wrong their soul. Now, Paul says, I wrong nobody. Well, this word is used by about people that are on the left hand side and says not only did you wrong your neighbor and your family, just like Adam did. What did he do? He wronged his family. He wronged his wife. He wronged his children. He wronged himself and he wronged God. And that's just carried on through the natural process. And people will go out of this life. What's that? That word is unjust but wronging God and wronging themselves and wronging their fellow men and wronging their family because they will not come to God. All right. And then Colossians, would you look at Colossians with me for a moment, please? He that is unjust, let him be unjust. Still. He, which is filthy, let him be filthy. Still. It's not going to change. Death will not change that will just have that same characteristic, same attitude, and nobody is going to find out where they stand when they stand before God. That's not the place. It's only going to be, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. That's the word. Uh, trial is not going to be had there. All right. Book of Colossians, chapter 3. Colossians, chapter 3. I... I I want to go out of this life saying I wrong no man. The opportunities are ours every time the doors are open to wrong no man. Declare the gospel. Declare the mercy and grace of God. And declare that natural man left to himself is going to wrong himself and wrong God. And thank God he intervenes in us and gives us a new heart. So we'll not wrong God. (laughs) We'll speak highly of him. We'll praise him. We'll thank him. We'll be on good terms with him, will come boldly to him. That's a heart that's changed and no interest in wronging God. We're going to agree with God on his word. We're going to agree God with God on sin. We're going to agree with God on heaven. I don't know all I know about it, but I'm going to agree with him on it. Going to agree with God on hell. There is one. It was created for the devil and his angels and all those without Christ will meet that place. Because he is unjust, will be unjust still. All right, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 25. We read these words. Colossians chapter 3, verse 25. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for wrong which he hath done. And there is no respect of persons. Oh, you're related to. <laughs> That's not going to carry any weight with God. You, you are your grandfather, your dad. You, no, oh, sorry. Now I used to go, used to enjoy going into the stores over there in Lakeview because I could walk in and I had credit. <laughs> My dad's credit was good to me. As long as I bought it, bought it with his name, I could just buy anything I wanted. All I I never charged it t- or for personal gain. It was always for stuff for him. But that was good. That was good. Who I knew. Now there's only one thing that we one person we need to know. That's Christ. Nobody else will be of any benefit. Christ alone. That's the only benefit we'll have. I am the way, he said. I am the truth, he said, and I am the life, he said. And that's the only way we'll ever be on good terms with God. We just sang a song. I never paid any attention to one of those verses that through the eyes of God, we see the Godhead. I just, whoa. Every once in a while, lights come on. (laughs) Through the eyes of Christ, we see the Godhead. All right. There it says there in verse 25, he that doeth wrong shall receive for wrong which he hath done. That same word both times, wrong. He that is unjust, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He will still be wrong. Without God, without peace, without Christ, still be wrong. And the Apostle Paul was quick to say, I wrong no man. Every person I came to, every message I preached... Every declaration was the declaration we find in Romans chapter 1. I declare unto you the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he never put the gospel, never put Christ out here on a block and says, well, take him or leave him. He declared him. Now, Paul trusted God. He declared him. Now he trusted God. Didn't need anything else. Just trusted God with that. Now this is wrong. This this part is wrong. Now, just a little bit further. There's a tiny little book called Philemon. Philemon is an interesting book. It's only 25 verses long, but oh, the gospel message! I've thought several times if I could, if I only had one book, and I couldn't have Romans <laughs> or Ephesians. Give me Philemon. It has a wonderful account in here about how God does His business. There's a slave runs off from his master. And he uh, gets to town. <laughs> if he could just get to town, he could, he could get lost and nobody could find him. Well, God had his purpose in that. That slave got to town and crossed paths with that one who will not wrong people. (laughs) That Saul of Tarsus, that Paul, the apostle, their paths crossed. And he preached the gospel to him. Now, it wasn't just a weak gospel. It was the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the gospel of how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Now, little saviors are for little sinners. But the Savior is for great sinners. This gospel will save the chiefest of sinners. And this slave met Saul of Tarsus. Paul, the apostle, heard him preach, and God saved him by his grace. Now, Paul is going to write a letter... (laughs) You need to go home. Take this letter with you. You need to go back to your master. Take this letter. Philemon, verse 18. In this letter, he said, if he wronged thee. Now, that's that same word. If he's unjust, if he wronged thee. Now, in the past, there's no question. (laughs) He wronged his master. He wronged his position in life he wronged his God he didn't even know of God but he wronged him everything was wrong but now after the Lord saved him he said if he hath wronged thee or oweth thee ought put that on my account if he took money from you put that on my account if he stole from you put that on my account because he's a different man now God has moved him by his grace. God caught up with him by his grace. You know, there's one thing about grace. Grace cannot act where there's ability. You ever thought about that? Grace cannot act where there's ability. Now, if you have the ability of doing something, there's no need for grace. If you have the ability of reaching out towards God, you don't need grace. If you have the ability of believing on God, you don't need grace. Grace. But if God gives grace, then we have the ability to believe. (laughs) We're without ability. Philemon was without ability. The, 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 The slave was without ability. There is no ability in man. So it takes grace. We are dependent upon God's grace, his unmerited favor, to make us acquainted with God. We'll not go on our own. Now, if we have the ability, and religion just teaches that, you got the ability to do it, then you don't need grace, because it's not going to work. Grace is dependent upon the lack of ability. Grace. Now, I was telling someone down there at Central Point, you know, it's difficult for young people who don't go to church very often to sit still. And what do you do about it? Well, I was in church one time. I was in a conference one time and a little baby started to squall and the preacher just stopped immediately and got really angry and says, "I'm not going to compete with your child. Take it out now." And I thought that that was just being a horse's rear end myself. <laughs> For lack of better words. <laughs> That's just poor. And I told him about Joshua coming right out of there and coming right up here, you know, He was dependent upon grace. (laughs) I didn't pick him up. (laughs) I wanted to. But that's the inability. Little babies are dependent upon that. They're unable, so they depend on someone else's grace to pick them up. We're unable to turn to God. We're unable to trust God. We're unable to believe God. We're unable to see God. We're unable to hear God. We're unable to feel God. We're unable to do anything spiritual towards God. That's when grace is going to work. Grace is to the chiefest of sinners. Unable people. Now, this guy said... If Paul said, if that guy's done anything wrong, I'll take care of it. Now that's gracious. Now that's what God does for us. He knew what we've done wrong. Born in Adam, that was enough. And our own activities, that's enough. That's more than enough. We're sinners by nature. We're sinners by practice. And Lord help us, we're sinners by choice. But grace, grace, grace is there for the chiefest of sinners. All right, now there in that passage of scripture it says, "He that is filthy, let him be filthy still." It's the only place in all the Bible that that particular word is used. So we can't go over there and find out how is it used in some place else. The word filthy or this word filthy is uh, it means to to make filthy or to defile or to soil to be filthy, especially morally bankrupt to be defiled with iniquity. And a sinner that's a sinner without Christ in this life is going to go out of this life a sinner without Christ for eternity going to continue to be filthy, going to continue to be soiled by the fall, soiled in his own mind, filthy in his own mind, filthy morally in his own mind. Everything about us by nature is filthy. That's the the essence of the blood of Christ. There is a fountain filled with blood. Why? Because we're filthy and cleanses us from all sin and every stain of sin. That's what it is to be unfilthyed, <laughs> to be washed. I've <laughs> I've told this story, but one time my twin brother and I we got the garden hose. Now over there where we grew up in in uh, uh, around the Goose Lake, you get that mud, that uh, dirt wet. It just turns to a uh, you could get six feet tall. It just builds up on the bottom of your feet, and we got the garden hose there. And there was kind of a place right where the smokehouse, where the water went off the smokehouse. And it had ate it out a little bit. And we just filled that full and let it soak in, filled it full again. And we took off all our clothes except our drawers. And we rolled in that. Oh, we'd seen the pigs do that. And they loved it. So we rolled and rolled and rolled and rolled. Had it in our hair. Mom came out of the house. (laughs) And she cleaned us up. (laughs) She took the garden hose to us. She would not allow us in the house without, first of all, going through the cleaning process. And she held the hose. And it was a whole lot colder then than it was when we were playing with it. But she washed us up. She took the filth off of us. And I said all that to say this. The blood of Christ removes all the stain of the fall and we're given a position with Christ to be clean but without that blood without that cleansing without that Christ without that salvation without that grace we'll go out of this life filthy still there will be no cleansing through eternity it will not be cleansed any there will just not be any whit Because will those that have those that leave this life without Christ will continue to sin against themselves, their neighbors, and God in hell. They will never be clean. Now, the other side is he that's righteous. The scriptures tell us here, And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still, or he'll be righteous still. God saves a person in this life. My goodness, what lack of faith do people have in the, and confidence in God if they say, I can lose this, or I can meet God and, and find out I didn't get it. This righteousness that God gives, this quickening power is so fantastic that it changes our mind towards God. We don't have the same old opinion about God. We don't have the same opinion about sin or self. We don't have the same opinion about the Bible. It's not something that we can take or leave. God is not somebody that we can take or leave. Salvation is not something we can take or leave. It's just not part of life. It is our life. He is our life. And he is our livelihood, spiritually speaking. There is such a dramatic change made in regeneration that God allows us to know now. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ. And the Holy Spirit is constantly voting for us. (laughs) That's what he said. And then, we know not how to pray as we ought, but the Holy Spirit knows how to pray as we ought. And it's not in gibberish. It's just taking the message to God. Because God said, I know what you have needed before you ask. We're not surprising God with our prayers. We're not surprising anybody. (laughs) And I I truly believe more than ever that our real prayers are by ourselves somewhere and not in public. There's so much said in the Bible about public prayer. And most of it's not good. Don't stand on the street corner. Take it to your closet. And we pray in services and we pray at the table. But our real prayer. And it only might be three words long. You know, that that sinner, that tax collector, that publican. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That was an effectual prayer because God gave it to him. All right, let's look at this righteousness. It's a right standing with God. It's it's being just before God. It's being right before God. It's being being taken from uh, the fold of Adam, if you please, and placed in the fold of God. It's being transported from the kingdom of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his dear son. 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. If... uh, I'm not going to ask anybody in here because I know the answer. How many in here are trusting the law? All right. Very good. (laughs) First Timothy chapter one, verse nine. Look at this. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous. Now that's that same word we found over there. Righteous. The law is not made. The law is not made for a righteous man. But for lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly, and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murders of fathers, murders of mothers, and for manslayers. And the list goes on. The law is not for a righteous person. You know what? God is big enough to lead his family. He doesn't have to have a legalistic line. He's big enough. The Holy Spirit is God, and the Holy Spirit has the ability of leading his family, leading us into all truth. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't sin. That's our nature acting. If we've ever done a wrong thing, that's us. Now, if we've ever done, (laughs) okay. But if we've ever done a good thing, it's because of God. It's not us. Sin is ours. Good works are God's. He gives them to us this this law is not for a righteous person it's not for a saved person it's not for a person that god has taken from darkness and given him light it's not for his those sheep that he has called out of darkness the law is for profane it's for those on the other side the, the law is to make good citizens out of rotten people obey the laws of the land now we obey i like stop signs Particularly when other people use them. Getting more and more where They're not using them like they used to or should. But there's some, there's some things that we go abide by. But the law is not a rule of faith. Not a rule of life. The Lord is. The Lord is. And that's he that's righteous. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Look at this with me. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 8. Talks about the Lord being the righteous judge. I want that. But as the righteous judge is, so are those he judges righteous. And his children are righteous. They have the righteousness of Christ. It's called a robe of righteousness. It means that God's people have been clothed with Christ. He is the righteous judge. Tells us here in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. "...Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge..." Now that's the righteous that will be righteous for eternity. Those he has declared righteous. They have a right standing. They have Christ. "...He shall give me at that day, and not only me only, but unto all them that love is appearing..." And only the church is going to love the appearing of God, of Christ. Only the church will love that. The world, oh my goodness. It's the end of life and the beginning of death, eternal death. And in uh, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 6, this is a passage that's quoted from the Old Testament. And the book of Hebrews is just... just quotes from the Old Testament, many of the, if we didn't have the Old Testament quoted in the book of Hebrews, we just have a hollow shell. There's the Old Testament's the text, a few comments, that's the preaching, but the Old Testament is the text. We just, I just have to remember, I don't, I, I don't need to say we need to remember, I need to remember that the Old Testament is all they had at this time to preach from. It was going to be a long time before the book was completed and people were preaching from the Old as well as the New Testament. It's going to be over a hundred years before it's all put together. So we got a while that all the preachers preached was the Old Testament. It's just like pulling off the front here. All right, I'm glad we have it. But we do spend quite a bit of time over there because it is preaching Christ. right. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. Look at this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. Now the just shall live by faith. And that faith is the faith of the Son of God. That's the faith. Well, you depend on your faith, you'll fall. Depend on Christ's faith, you'll be secure. We, uh, The just shall live by faith. And if you're just here you'll be just there. If you're righteous here, you'll be righteous there. We'll just get to see him in more of his righteousness. Eyes will be made perfect then. We'll not be looking through a glass darkly. I wrote to Brother Henry the other day and I said, Oh my goodness, I just am really realizing how through a glass darkly, there's so little of this book I comprehend But, oh, Lord, give me peace about what you've shown me. (laughs) All right. First Peter, chapter four. First Peter, chapter four, verse 18. I think. Let me check this. I think this is second Peter. No, it's first Peter, chapter four. I don't know who invented Roman numerals and who required it to be used for making notes. I need to get used to putting twos, threes, and fours in the Arabic system because I don't make, make near as many mistakes. But anyway, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 18, And if the righteous, now that's that same word, if the righteous scarcely be saved... If the righteous scarcely be saved. You know how much blood it took to save one? All of it. And it doesn't matter the amount, it's all of it, but it's whose blood it was. If the righteous scarcely be saved. Goes on to tell us there in verse 18. Where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? There's not room. <laughs> They're not on the docket. No hope. They're just not an opening. The righteous, I have room for the righteous, but those ungodly. There's not room in my room. And that's the same word. And then uh, over here in the book of uh, backing up one chapter, First Peter chapter 3 and verse 18 Now, this, this is that word, righteous, for a righteous man. Now, this is where we get it. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just. Now, who's that? That's Christ. He's the just. That's the same word we found over there in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, righteous. It means you've got to have him, the just. The Lord Jesus, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the spirit. The just, he's the just one. He's the righteous one. And he's the only one that can impart that and give that righteousness to anyone. He's the only one. That's our righteousness, not ours. Self-righteousness will condemn everybody on the left hand side. Have we not done many mighty works in thy name? And those on the right hand said, When did we do that? We didn't keep track. The others did. They had their boxes, their books, all the notes, everything else, how much they'd done for Jesus. And he said, No, never knew you. Now, the last part of that, it says, He he that is holy shall be holy still. That that word holy, not only is it... uh, Translated saint and Holy Spirit, and other places. It's many, many places in the New Testament is this word tra- brought in the word the Holy Spirit. Every time we hear the word Holy Spirit, it's that same word. And uh, it's saint, same word. There's something about the Holy Spirit of God. There's one thing. That covers a multitude of things about this. About the Holy Son of God, the Holy God, the Holy Spirit—they are in total and complete agreement, and that's what that word means. There is no dissension whatsoever in their purpose. They're at oneness about everything. They are—they—they—they are, they, haven't—and I hate to use it—they haven't even thought about having a disagreement. They're just no. It is absolute oneness. Now the word saint comes from the same word. And a saint, God's child, is at oneness with God. There is no problem with God being king. No problem about the gospel. No problem about grace. No problem about the Bible. No problem about God's word. We may say, I don't understand it, but I don't have a problem with it. I don't disagree with it. I just don't understand it. He hasn't imparted it to me. He hasn't revealed it to me. Anything about it, anything about the word has to be revealed. So to be holy, one will not be in disagreement with God. Disagreement about grace. There will not be any disagreement about grace. There will not be any disagreement about faith and where it comes from. There will not be any disagreement about the Bible. This is God's word. He spoke it. He gave it. It's his word. And it is in perfect unity and unison and timing. I remember my older brother one time graduated from college at OIT, got a job with warehouser, was taken way out in the woods, and uh, there was a piece of equipment that wasn't working quite right. And his job... His interview was to find out what was wrong with that piece of equipment. And he went around it and went around it. And then he took one of these extension bars and put it up to his ear and held it up against the casing. He says, I know what's wrong with this. He says, what is? He says, the timing is two or three teeth off. And they tore it apart and fixed that. When it got in timing, it worked. Now, I said that to say this. God's people are at perfect timing with God. We're not off. (laughs) God has a purpose and His people are at perfect timing with it. Now, Lord only knows we don't understand it. But we're not at conflict with it. And that's what it is to be holy. At one with God. He makes us at one with God. He gives us His nature. He gives us... His nature. We're born from above, from God. We have that. And we're at perfect timing. We're at one with Him about grace. I went to visit the man I told 25 years ago. I have to think of Tim. I heard the gospel about uh, three or four months after Tim was saved. Uh, Tim was born, excuse me. And uh, I went out there to talk to the man that I had told. That many years ago, I know more about grace than I've ever known in my life. I don't know anything, but I know more about grace. I knew what it was to be a sinner now, and I knew what grace it was to get me cleaned up. Faith, found out it was his faith. I've been working hard to get my own faith, but it's his faith. Then it came easy. The Bible, salvation, sin, all the rest, at oneness with God. So the Bible says, here it is, he that's unjust, you fall out of this life, wind blows you over, death comes, wherever you are, what stage of life you are without Christ, you're without him yet. You'll never get him. If you're filthy, you're going to go out of this life filthy. If you've never been to the blood pool, if you've never been to the pool of Christ's blood, You'll go out of this life without cleanliness. On the other side, if he's made you righteous, you'll go out righteous. If he's made you holy, you'll go out holy. You'll meet him that way. And we could say, blessed be the name of the Lord. We'll stop there.